nice just to remind ourselves of the vision uh, passage for the year um, and just dip into uh, something that would look at that and remind us of that. We're not going to study that particular passage, but I'm going to reread it, remind us of what that said, and then look at a different portion of scripture through the lens of Acts 2. So let's just remind ourselves of, uh, of what that portion of scripture says, our vision passage for the year. <clears throat> this is from Acts 2.42. says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that's just such a powerful verse, and I hope that you are continuing to meditate on that throughout this year and, and seeing how we can personally apply it to our lives, to our uh, families, to our work, to our college, whatever it may be, how we can put these principles into practice. Um, and if you need a reminder on what we kind of delved into, you can jump online and, and listen to those messages from uh, the back end of January and the start of February. But this morning, like I say, I want to look at a different portion of Scripture, but through the lens of Acts 2, 42 to 47. And across the, across the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we see a whole bunch of uh, stories around the work and the miracles uh, and, the, and the service of Jesus and all the amazing things that he performed. And the reality is that it, it's just a highlight reel. What we see in the Gospels is really just a glimpse of what Jesus did throughout his three years of ministry on this earth. In fact, John says, doesn't he, that if everything were written down, the whole world wouldn't be able to contain the books that would be written because of the just sheer volume of incredible things that Jesus did during his life on earth. And so I find it really fascinating that aside from the resurrection, there is only one miracle that appears in all four Gospels. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. And that says to me that there's something significant in this story, in this miracle, in this work that Jesus did. Something that we should be leaning into a little bit. You know, when it came to writing the Gospels, these these men writing down uh, their experience or, or what they'd heard about Jesus... They, they will have had to go through a process and try to figure out what it is that they're going to write down, what it is that they're going to include in their Gospels. And that can't have been easy, can it? Because there will have been moments when they're penning down their Gospels where they said, OK, so Jesus did this. Shall I include it or shall I not? Because we can't afford, we don't have the paper to fit everything in. So we're going to have to be a little bit selective. What am I putting in? What am I not putting in? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Are we including that or are we not including that? Jesus fed the 5,000. Are we including that or are we not including that? And for whatever reason, they all chose to include this one miracle. 
And the purpose of the Gospels is to teach people to follow Jesus. It's to let people know about who he was and how he operated and how we can be and how we can live because of him and because of the work that he did. And each one of the Gospels has its own unique angle. And so you read the book of Matthew and it's very Jewish and there's a lot of references in there to the Old Testament. And he looks at Old Testament scripture and how Jesus fulfilled it, how Jesus lived it out. You read the book of Mark and it's much more like a sermon. He's quite a storyteller in the way that he, he describes the life of Jesus. It's, it's quite motivational in parts. He's got lots of calls to action. He's, he's encouraging us to actually do something about it. And then you've got Luke and he was, he was the phys physician, the doctor. And so he pays attention to a lot of the detail. And so you get some information in there that you won't see in the other Gospels. And then you've got John, and he's very persuasive. And he's, he's, he's got a lot of emphasis on the divine nature of Jesus. And so they're all quite different, even though they're talking about the same person, even though they're sharing a lot of the same things. They're all quite different and quite unique in the way that they tell the story. But each and every one of them felt that they should include this one miracle. And so let's just read it together. I'm going to read it from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 14. He says this, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We've only got five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I love how this telling of the miracle begins before we even get to the main event, if you like, of the, the miracle of actually feeding the 5,000. It says that he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And so often in the narrative of Jesus, we see that he was moved to action because of his compassion. And that word compassion, it's really interesting in the Greek, it's splakitsomai, and, and it, it comes from the root word splaknon, which means to be moved in the inward parts. It's like a gut-level emotion. And, you know, we talk about love, don't we? And we say that oh, it gives me a feeling of butterflies. It's this internal feeling. Or when we've, when we've been hurt or when we're feeling emotional pain, we might say it's gut-wrenching. And that's this, this feeling that this word is giving, the emotion and, and the, the kind of the force and the power behind this word, compassion. It's something that happens deep within us that really stirs us up. It's not a surface level thing. It's something at the core of our very being. 
And so Jesus is feeling this emotion, this compassion in his gut. It gets him right here when he looks out on the crowd and he sees that they are in need. And, you know, I pray that, that God will move each and every, every one of us right in the core of who we are when we, when we hear about hurt, when we, when we see stories about poverty, when we hear about the devastation that's going on in our world, I pray that God will really stir something up within our guts, that we will have compassion for these things. And it won't just be, oh, that's really bad and I hope they're okay, but actually it will stir us to action. It'll stir us to do something. We won't just look at a situation or see some injustice in the world and think that's really sad, but actually we'll be stirred because of this gut-wrenching emotion into action. And so maybe you're thinking, but I'm far too busy to, to help out all of the things that I see going on, everything that stirs me. But the one thing that we can do is pray. And sometimes, sometimes when, we, when we see a situation or when we're, we're having a conversation about how we can help, we use that phrase where we say, oh, all I can do is pray. Almost as if it's, you know, it's, I should be doing more, but all I can do is, is pray. But the reality is that prayer is powerful. Prayer is not, you know, well, that's all I can do. That, that's the only thing that I've got to give in this situation. Prayer is probably the best thing that you can be doing in a situation. Yeah, it's great to, to make donations to charity. It's great to, uh, you know, give of your time and your effort to, to some kind of support work. But actually, prayer is something that we can all do. And it's actually incredibly powerful and effective. So let's allow ourselves to be moved with compassion at a gut level to do something to act, to move. And we can do that through prayer, among other things. And so when we're reading this, this miracle and we look at the other uh, Gospels telling of it, Mark here adds a little extra explanation to what it is that Jesus is feeling. He says, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So here he's talking about it from almost a, a pastoral perspective. He's feeling kind of a fatherly responsibility for this crowd of people that have gathered to, to meet him, to be in his presence, to hear what it is that he's got to say. And so he kind of, he looks at them and he thinks, oh, I really, I care for them. I've got, I, I, I want to fulfill their needs because of my love for them. He sees them like sheep without a shepherd, lost. And it's really beautiful that he, he has that, that, that feeling, that emotion, because of what we know is about to happen in the story. Because in Psalm 23, we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here is a crowd of people in want of something very practical. But we'll get there in a minute. And so the disciples say to Jesus in this moment, they say, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You solve the problem. You find a way. Jesus had compassion for the crowds. The disciples, on the other hand, not so much. 
There's such a contrast here in the attitude and the character between Jesus and his disciples. And I wonder who we can relate to the most in this situation. When we find ourselves in a situation that's a bit challenging, that, that requires some action, do we think, oh, well, let's, let's see what we can do? Or do we think, let's send them away and they can figure it out for themselves? What, what is it that, that we, where do we sit? Do we sit on the side of compassion or do we sit on the side of pragmatism? I don't know about you, but I often fall, unfortunately, on the side of pragmatism. And that's kind of my nature. That is, that is where I sit. I look at a situation. I weigh the costs. I try to figure out what it is that I can do. Uh, and whether it's feasible to step out in faith or whatever it might be. And I'm you know, a bit more cautious sometimes around things like that. Ruth, on the other hand, much more willing to just take a running leap into the arms of God and just say, well, let's just see what happens. And that's a beautiful way to be. And, you know, I've shared before about uh, how I came to be in full-time ministry, and I won't go into it again this morning. But the truth is that that's where I was sitting on this kind of, you know, pragmatic perspective where I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sure that we can afford for me to do this. And there was all that kind of stuff going on in my mind. And Ruth's like, let's just do it. But thankfully, God is gracious and he saw the kind of debate going on in me and he made a way, he gave me a safety net that allowed me to step out in faith, but also with a bit of security because God is very generous and very gracious like that. But there's such a contrast between the disciples' response and Jesus' response to this situation, to what was going on. And it's this idea of scarcity versus abundance. And in John's telling of the story, we see Philip breaking down the impracticality of what it was that Jesus was asking them to do. He's crunching the numbers. He's weighing the cost. He's figuring out, actually, what, what is it that Jesus is asking us to do in this moment? Can we physically do it? And so his response to Jesus is, you want us to buy enough food for all these people to eat. All of these people. And so he's done the maths, he's figured it out, and he's like, Jesus, a year's wages wouldn't buy us enough food to satisfy everyone. What you're asking of us right now is not something that we can do. He saw this task as impossible. He saw this task as something that they just could not physically do. But he saw this task from a perspective of what can he do? What can they do? This group of men. What, it is that, what is it that we can do in this situation right now? And the answer was not very much. We cannot do what it is that you're asking us to do. But Jesus' approach was different because he bypassed all human effort. He wasn't thinking, what can I do? What can we do as men and women on this earth. He was looking at it with a kingdom mindset. He was looking at it knowing that the Holy Spirit could do something in this moment. He was looking at it knowing that our God is our great provider. He was looking at this situation through a kingdom mindset where the world says this is impossible. God says I can make a way. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. 
And so the practical application of this is the call for us to trust God. Where things look impossible, where things look like there is no shot that we could do this. We need to trust God. We need to have a mindset of abundance and not scarcity. And I believe there's a challenge here for us to live a life of generosity and not of selfishness. Because we learn from John's account of this story that a young boy came up and he offered what he had. A young boy came up and he offered what little he had. And I don't know what happened here. We don't get the the detail of how this interaction happened. But I like to think of it like Jesus and his disciples are, are having this discussion. So the disciples have come to Jesus and they've said, look, it's getting late. It's getting dark. These people have been here a long time and they're very hungry. What, what, and they're having this kind of, com- what are we going to do? Jesus is like, well, you feed them. We're not sending them. And they're having this kind of back and forth. And maybe some of the disciples are like scratching their head. And then you've got Matthew counting all the, Philip counting all the numbers and doing his little sums. And this kind of interaction is going on. And then this little boy, maybe he's sat on the front row of the crowd and he overhears this conversation that's going on and he kind of walks up and he, and he, and he taps Andrew on the shoulder and he says, excuse me, sir, I've got this. Is this any good to you? I kind of picture it like this. So I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings, the first one. There's this scene in that quite early on when they're all gathered together in Rivendell and, uh, and this crowd of people, of dwarves, of men, of elves and wizards and all that kind of jazz. And they're all kind of gathered and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with the Ring of Power because it needs to be destroyed in the fires of Mordor. And so they're all kind of gathered and they're having this debate. And, and after a while, it becomes to get quite heated. And there's, there's shouting and there's kind of jeering and there's waving of fists and swords. And all this kind of stuff is going on and it's getting a bit loud. And then when you're watching this intense scene, you then just hear this quiet voice of Frodo the Hobbit saying, I'll go. I'll do it. And then it kind of pans over to Gandalf and you just see his his kind of face go to this, it's almost like his heart melts in that moment because of the humility of this tiny little hobbit who has never kind of gone out of his hometown before ever, who has no idea how to fight. And he's like, well, I could try. I could give it a go, this impossible task. And I kind of picture this scene of of the feeding of the 5,000s and this boy kind of coming up and saying, well, I've got this. I could give it to you. I picture it like that. And and so this boy kind of comes up and he says, I've got this this food. You know, I I realize that it's not enough, but you can have it if it helps. You You can have it. And then I think that Jesus probably melted in that moment, that he was just so proud that he was maybe overwhelmed at the humility of this child that says, I've not got a lot. And I realize it's not even going to scratch the surface of what's going on, but you can have it. You can have it if it helps. And there's something so beautiful and innocent about this gesture because Jesus calls us, doesn't he, to be like children. Because there's something in children that that they don't see the impossible. They think, well, you know, I've got this. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll do it. 
I don't think that this boy weighed up the cost. I don't think he was crunching the numbers. I don't even think that in that moment he looked at his food and he said, well, okay, I've got five loaves and two fish. I'm a little bit hungry, so I'll keep one of each for myself and then they can have the leftovers. He wasn't kind of even weighing up the cost of that. He just said, this is what I've got. You can have it all. You can have it all. I wonder if there was anyone else in the crowd who saw and heard the conversation going on between Jesus and his disciples trying to figure out what they were going to do to feed this group of people. Whether there were other people in the crowd who had also brought some food with them from home, but they heard the conversation and thought, I've not got a lot, probably just keep it to myself, I think. I wonder if there were people in the crowd who were feeling a little bit selfish in that moment. Or maybe they were just being a little bit pragmatic and thinking, well, what I've got is definitely not enough, so there's no point in even making that suggestion. Maybe there were people who were just sitting there, weighing the cost, thinking about how their generosity would actually impact them, and instead landed on, I'm not going to do anything. The world teaches that security allows for generosity. When we're okay, we can then help others. But Jesus teaches that generosity leads to security. The world teaches security allows for generosity, but Jesus teaches generosity leads to security. The world teaches make sure that you're okay, then you can help others. But Jesus teaches help others and I'll make sure you're okay. In Luke chapter 6, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's this teaching, there's this principle of a life of generosity, of a life of abundance, not a life of scarcity, a life that calls us to put aside that selfish nature and give everything that we've got. Now, to be fair to the disciples at this point, Jesus was still teaching about the kingdom of God. He was in kind of early stages of this is how we should live our lives. He's still demonstrating what it looks like to have a kingdom mindset. And so it's fair, I think, that the disciples hadn't quite grasped it at this point. And yet, this small boy had got it. This small boy had already grasped hold of what it looks like to have a kingdom mindset. But then fast forward to Acts 2, our vision passage. Fast forward to the early church and we see this kingdom mindset in full swing. There's no longer an attitude of scarcity and selfishness, but everyone is pooling their resources, it says, so that no one goes without. I think one of the lessons that we can take from this miracle, a lesson that the innocence of this young boy had already grasped, is to live a life of generosity. To live a life that puts others above ourselves. And what's the result of living that way? What is the result of living out that culture? We see it in Acts 2. We see people living like that and the result is 
people get saved. People get saved. People come to know Jesus when we live out a life of generosity, when we live a life of selflessness. People get saved. This boy didn't have a lot, but what he had, he gave to God. Maybe you underestimate or undervalue what it is that you have got. Like I said, maybe there were people in the crowd who had something, but they thought it's not a lot, so I won't bother giving it up. Maybe we are undervaluing what it is that we have got in our hands, but God doesn't. God doesn't. He sees what you've got, and he sees its value. And with God, we can do incredible things with whatever it is that we've got in our hands, whether that is little or whether that is much. God can do amazing, incredible, awe-inspiring things. So let's keep moving through this passage. In verse 19, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples then gave them to the crowds. I love how Jesus includes his disciples in this. There are so many ways in which this miracle could have happened. Jesus could have just clicked his fingers and a lunch appeared on everyone's laps. That could have been what happened. He could have said, form an orderly queue in front of me and I will give you your portion and you move on. And he just keeps giving and he could have done it like that. But instead, he chooses these everyday, ordinary, sometimes quite dim men to help him with this miracle. He says, take this and distribute it to the people. And this is another part of the story that got me thinking of Acts 2. Because we read in that, in that passage that many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles because of their devotion to God. Because they devoted themselves, we were seeing these signs and wonders. And the disciples in this story even though they didn't quite get what it was that Jesus was doing half the time, they were still devoted to him. They'd left things behind, whether that was jobs, security, family members, they'd left stuff behind to devote themselves to God. They were being obedient. They did what he asked. And then through them, he did something amazing. He could have done it on his own without any help. He didn't need their help but he chose to use them. And that's how we should be living. We should live a life that is devoted to God, doing what it is that he asks, living obediently to him and then seeing what amazing things he can do through us. So Jesus, he blessed this boy's lunch, this boy's offering. He gave it to the disciples to hand out. And in my mind, I don't know about you, this is just my theory, my personal interpretation. The miracle hasn't happened yet. He's blessed the food, he's broken it, and he's given it to the disciples. But the miracle hasn't happened yet, or so I believe. And so I think the disciples were possibly still at this moment looking at each other a little bit confused. Well, okay, you've now shared five loaves and two fish between 12 of us. It's looking pretty slim right now. And you still want us to, to go and do this. You still want us to go and share this food with the masses. And so they're in a place of total and utter dependence on God. 
This is not going to do it. This is not enough food. This will not go around 5,000 plus people. But you've told us to do it. You've told us to go and give this food out to the people. And so they do it. They trust in God. And I like the thoughts. And again, this is just my personal kind of take on how this miracle is going down. That the disciples give some food out to the people, to the crowd. And they say, okay, take some and pass them on. Take some and pass them on. And so the first people who got some food, they would have taken some for themselves and then turned to the person next to them and shared the food with them saying, take some and pass it on. Take some and pass it on. And then the second person has their bit and they turn to the person next to them. Okay, take some and and pass it on. And miraculously each time the food that was shared was plenty for the person helping themselves and then enough for the next person who then took their bit and shared it with the next person, take some and pass it on. And I like that idea because it brings about a thought that the miracle is in the sharing. The miracle is in the sharing and that ties back into what we see in Acts 2. Because in Acts 2, the early church sold everything that they had, pooled their resources and no one went without because they were sharing what, was, what they had. And so let me just keep running with this theory for a moment, and I'm just going to stress again, it's just a theory. I'm not sure if this is how it went down, but this is how I kind of picture it when I'm reading it. What if the first person that the disciples handed some food over to didn't pass anything on? What if they kind of looked at the person next to them and they looked at what it was that they had in their hand and thought, someone's going hungry here and I've got the food, so I think it's going to be me. And, and what if the person who got some food looked at their neighbour with this principle of take some and pass it on, but they looked at their neighbour and thought, they look a bit weird. Or maybe they weren't from the same tribe as them or the same neighbourhood as them or they didn't speak the same language as them and they looked at them and thought, not so sure about that and instead they took what they had and they found their friends and their family and gathered them round into their own little crowd and said all right we've got this food we're okay and they shared it out amongst themselves I think that could have been something that had happened but if that was the way things went down then I don't believe we would have seen so many people fed I think if people were selfish with it if people were kind of creating these exclusive groups to share the food amongst them, maybe we would have seen 50 people fed or 100 people fed or a couple of hundred people fed, but we wouldn't have seen this miracle to the extent that God wanted to do. So I like this idea of take some, pass some on, because then the miracle is in the sharing. And the scriptures say that all eight And were satisfied. Everyone ate and was satisfied. We're talking about probably 10,000 people gathered together and they all ate and they all were satisfied. In John's telling it says they ate as much as they wanted. Now last week uh, Ruth and me and the kids went to spring harvest uh, to serve on team and so we got fed three meals a day breakfast 
was buffet-style breakfast with all of the cooked food and cereal and toast and croissants and fresh fruit and all of that jazz. And you could have as much as you wanted. And then at lunch, it was also a, a buffet with all manner of food. And you could have as much as you wanted. And let me tell you, what we need and what we want are two very different things. I have come back feeling a stone heavier because, yeah, it was good food. It was good food. But this scripture says that they all ate as much as they wanted, not as much as they needed. They didn't just have enough to satisfy their hunger. It says they had as much as they wanted. And if they wanted to gorge themselves silly, then that is exactly what they could have done. And still, everyone else had enough for them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then after everyone had eaten, they gathered up the leftovers and it says they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 disciples. One basket per disciple to hold in their hands. Having begun with this measly portion of food and a look of confusion across their face. Now after everyone has had as much as they wanted, they've got a basket full of food. Probably still with a look of confusion across their faces. But with something now to think about. Jesus has done something amazing in this moment. Jesus has done something that we didn't think was possible. And there's a blessing that comes from serving God. I think that as the disciples stood there after everyone had eaten with their baskets full of leftovers, I think they were probably excited by what had just happened. That they felt privileged and blessed to have been involved in this miracle. Like we said, Jesus could have done it all by himself. And yet he chose to use these men to help him in this miracle. You know, we've been blessed this morning by the worship. We have been blessed. But I have no doubt that Joe and Ruth have also been blessed through leading us in that. The families that we help through forget-me-nots will be blessed by the practical things that we give to them. No doubt about it. But also the team who serve are blessed. There is a blessing that comes when we serve God. And God's rewards are for anyone who devotes themselves to his kingdom. When we are devoted to him, when we are devoted to the things that he calls us to, he pours out his blessings on us. Without a doubt, one of the best ways to grow in Christ is to serve him is to serve him, is to devote yourself fully to his purpose. And so we need to move from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. Not looking at our lack, not looking at our little, but believing in God's abundance. It's one thing to know God is enough. It's one thing to sing that God is enough. But can we start acting and living like God is enough? Not thinking about how little we've got. 
not weighing the costs and crunching the numbers and thinking, I'm not sure this is actually possible, but letting our actions reflect what we know to be true about our God, that he is more than enough. How good is God that we, as his disciples, just like the disciples on that day, that we get to be involved, that he chooses to use us to serve his kingdom. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us at all, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to empower us and to equip us to go out into this world and to tell people the good news of Jesus. He doesn't need us, but he chooses us. And what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is. So let's just reread that vision passage once more. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. When we devote ourselves to God, when we devote ourselves to his teaching, when we open ourselves up to seeing what awesome things he can do through us. It says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They shared what they had. No one kept anything back. There was no attitudes of selfishness in this early church. They all just pulled it all. They shared it all. And no one went without. It doesn't say how much they had. It just says that what they had, they gave. Just like this small boy. It doesn't say that they were a bunch of wealthy people that gave everything. Nor does it say they were a bunch of paupers who gave what little they had. It just says what they had, they gave. And no one went without. The miracle was in the sharing. And day by day, Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The result, the outcome of devoting ourselves to God, the result, the outcome of living a life of generosity, the result and the outcome of living from a place of abundance and not scarcity is that people get saved. That people get saved. That is what we're here for. That is why we live. So that we can tell people about Jesus. Yes, we have other ministries and we have other areas that we can serve in. But ultimately, each and every one of us who calls ourselves followers of Jesus... What we're supposed to be doing is telling people about him, pointing people to him. He chooses to use us when we're willing to be like this little boy and to give everything that we've got, whether that's a little or whether that's a lot. If we can give it all to God, he can do amazing things, things that will blow our minds. Are we up for it? I hope so. Let's pray. Yeah, God, we just thank you that you are awesome. That kingdom life is 
not a life of lack, but a life of abundance. And so, God, I pray right now that, that we would hear this challenge, this call, that actually uh, we should be humbled, we should count it a privilege that you choose to use us for your kingdom. And I pray that no matter what it is that we've got in our hands, no matter how much or how little we have, that we would just give it all to you. That we would say, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. What I've got, I give to you. I'm holding nothing back. I'm holding nothing back. You're going to have it all, God. And I believe that as we live out a life like that, as we live out a life that is devoted to you, to your teaching, to fixing our eyes on you, to following your plans and your purposes, as we devote ourselves in that way, we will see things far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Because you are the God of abundance. That there is nothing that you can't do. And that means there's nothing that we can't do with you. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment that you would once again fill us, that you would begin to stir something within us, that compassion, that gut level emotion that moves us to action. Don't let us push it back down. Don't let us quench that fire, but let us allow it to burn, to grow fierce, to, to force us to, to move to force us to step towards you, towards your plans, towards your purposes, so that we can advance your kingdom, so that we can pe see people saved, so that we can see people set free. And as we do that, God, we thank you that you will bless us through it. That yes, those who we speak to, those who we, who we love on will be blessed but that we too will see a blessing by devoting ourselves to you. And so God, we thank you for the example of this small boy. And I pray that we can humble ourselves. Many of us have forgotten what it, it feels like and what it looks like to, to become humble like a child. And so I pray that you would remind us how to live like that. That you would remind us of the way in which we can look at a situation not through fear but through freedom that we can look at a situation and not see impossibility but see possibility and so God I thank you that as we live this way as we love this way that you will do incredible things and so what we have we give it all to you what we have, we give it all to you and we say your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.